0: What's up, fam? You're about to hear a message from Hope Valley Church in Denver, Colorado. We are a new Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, socially responsible church and campus ministry in Denver, Colorado. Whether you've been walking with Jesus for like a day or a whole lifetime, we trust that this message will help you take your next steps to follow him. If you're in the Denver metro area, we would love for you to come and worship with us. You can check us out at our website at hvdenver.com to learn more. Also, don't forget to follow, like, subscribe, however you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Oh, and share. Now, let's jump in. Good morning, church. We do live in an amazing moment that has, in my application, an amazing biblical reflection. We find a tishbite. Now, if you're a tishbite, you better be tough. Because you got beat up a lot on the playground if you were a tishbite. But we find a man in First Kings 17 appearing for the first time. It's the prophet Elijah. Now, when you... Th- Think prophet and you think Bible, immediately you think Elijah. Elijah is the man. But what's so interesting here is the first time we see this guy showing up, he is declaring and decreeing a curse on Israel. Now that's a that's quite a way to show up. Is a declaration like it will neither rain nor dew in the coming years except at my command. Now, I don't know about you, but that's, that's quite a way to start your ministry. <laughs> is by throwing a people into famine, because if there's no rain, there's no food. If there's no food, you throw a nation into economic calamity. And so the first time that Elijah shows up, He is already finding himself at opposition in that moment in the day. Ahab looks for him for years. Ahab being the king of Israel. Israel being the nation that God is unhappy with in this moment. Why? Because they have turned to other gods. And so here we see Elijah showing up on the scene. A period of time goes by of three and a half years. Now, I want you to just take a moment and reflect on a a three-and-a-half-year period in which we have found ourselves. Going back to the beginning of 2020, we are now coming into a very, very commensurate, similar time frame of three to three-and-a-half years. And I believe that we are coming into an amazing moment. The last three and a half years for us has been one of unique loss. Every one of us in this room have somehow been affected by a pandemic. And this pandemic didn't just affect one nation, one group of people, but it was unique in that it was global. Very interesting. I learned a word of late. It's the word prologue. And a prologue is simply an event That sets up another event. Everything that God does in God's sovereignty and God's providence is always a prologue to something else. Is that God doesn't just do random things in the life of a man or a woman or people or a nation. But there's always a connectivity to God's unfolding, unending purposes. A prologue. The last three, three and a half years has been a prologue of God setting something up. Listen to me. The same way that Elijah declared that there would be no hydration on the land. It was a prologue to what he was about to do. We find this moment on Mount Carmel three and a half years later. Where the prophet Elijah goes up there and Everybody's kind of watching the prophets of Baal are coming. They're doing their little rain dance and doing everything they can to somehow get rain to fall. And in this amazing moment, fire falls from heaven, consumes the sacrifice that Elijah prepared. He slaughters the 450 prophets of Baal. But they were not the events. The event was when he bit down to pray. And he said, I hear the sound. Come on of a heavy rain. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. I hear that sound of a heavy rain. And what I was preaching really over the past year or two, what was prophetic is now just reporting the news. Because now it's not just a matter of hearing it. We're beginning to see In our midst, in our day, the same way that Elijah saw the rain fall from heaven, we are now seeing in this moment the back end of everything that God was preparing. Myself and many, many other people prophesied that God would use this to drag a plow through the church, through the nations, to open up furrows where the seeds of the gospel and revival rain would come and they would have a place that they could fall. A prologue event to exactly where you and I are finding ourselves in this moment. And ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. What makes this one different? From the other great awakenings, That were, for the most part, they were constrained to a particular people or geographic region. This is global in its orientation. I want you to hear this. That God's not just doing this in one place. My wife and I were in Europe five years ago or so. I was speaking at one of our Every Nation conferences there. And God began to show me lights beginning to blink on across that, quote, dark continent that he was going to begin to bring the reign of revival even into that place. But we're beyond just the sound of heavy rain in this particular moment. Show me if that picture, if you got the first one that you could put up. You can notice kind of the bad haircuts and the funky clothes. This is not a recent picture. This was taken in February of 1970. At a little school in Wilmore, Kentucky, Asbury College. Interestingly enough, my wife's brother was a student at Asbury during this. He was there. This is now known as the Asbury Revival. A handful of students just hanging out after a chapel service. And God began to uniquely fall and begin to move. This is history. Next slide. This is February of 2023. It's the same room. It's the same place. And perhaps you've picked this up through now secular media, not just Christian Post and not just the normal Christian reporting media outlets, but CNN and others begin to pick up. What is now 20, however many years later, I can't even do the math. Somebody help me quick. 53 years later, same place, a new Asbury revival has fallen. Students hanging out once again after a chapel, just waiting. God, might there be more? And thousands and thousands and thousands of people now begin to flood into this little town in Kentucky that they might get in this river of revival. And it's begun to move now from campus to campus to campus. Once again, what we were prophesying mere weeks ago, now we're just reporting the news. But you know, one of the greatest phone calls that I had, people began to call me on the phone and say, Pastor Jim, what do you think about this? Could this be? But the greatest call that I got was from a church planter in Denver, Colorado. And he said, Pastor Jim, I don't want to go to Wilmore. I want Wilmore to come here. It was the great, I have quoted you a lot. It was the greatest response to what's going on of anything that I have heard yet. Many people, they bought plane tickets. They got on buses. They, this completely disrupted the campus. And so many times, Christians, they're like, you know, they're like like moths to light, you know. They're like butterflies, you know. You know, whoo, piling over here, baby. I mean, so we go from place to place to place. But your pastor asked the right question. How might we have that here? What might we do to see this break out in this place? We're even beginning to see in the natural California, a 1,200-year meteorological cycle. Is that the rain that's now beginning to fall? It's not just breaking something that's happened over the past few decades. It's a 1,200-year drought that's being broken. We are seeing now signs in the natural. And you know what the meteorological phenomena is called? Atmospheric rivers. I didn't even know what one was. They're called atmospheric rivers. Ezekiel 47 talks about a river that flows from the throne of God and begins to move out and get deeper as it moves. We're seeing in the natural now so much rain beginning to fall that even in the dry and arid places there's not enough room for the water. Someone wrote that There have been no new reservoirs dug in California in the past 50 years. And so all of this rain is falling, and yet they can't even take advantage of it because of a lack of preparation. Isn't that interesting? And hear me, ladies and gentlemen. God has chosen you and me this generation to steward this. I don't think we really get the moment that God has placed us in. Hear me. Simeon, Luke, second chapter, old guy, creepy, hanging around the temple, taking people's babies from them. Until that moment that Jesus' parents showed up, and he takes the child. And God had promised him, you will not die until you see with your own eyes the consolation of Israel. And when he saw this baby, he said, God, now you can release me. My wife and I were at a conference we've, we've ministered in for well over 20 years. There was an older saint of the Lord there. His name is Emmanuel Canastracy. You don't know who he is, so don't worry about it. As a teenager, he traveled with a man named William Branham, one of the great healing evangelists of the 20th century. Power, signs, wonders, miracles on this man's life. And A couple of years ago, I told my wife as we came out of that conference, I said, Emmanuel is sick, he's got cancer, and it's serious. About 30 days later, we got message that he indeed had cancer. Now, when you're 89 years old, you know, pretty much they pat you on the head. As we know, you've had a good life. You know, we're going to keep you comfortable. But I remember saying, it said, of all the people on the planet, not to count out, he'd be the one. He came back to the conference 12 months later, cancer free. <laughs> cancer free. And he got up and he said this. He said, God told me I would not die until I had seen with my own eyes this next revival. Just like Simeon, this old saying to the Lord, God has preserved beat back cancer that should have killed him so that he could witness with his own eyes what we're talking about here this morning. Amen? Amen. But I want to talk for a moment about what does it look like to be prepared to receive this? You know, there are. A number of pictures that we see in the Bible for God and God's move, the Holy Spirit. Wind, water, oil. And I want to look at one of those three pictures this morning. And I want to look at oil. And we're going to look at a New Testament passage and an Old Testament passage. The first we find in Matthew 25. And for the sake of time, I won't read the passage to you, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a parable. Jesus Jesus told these stories, they're called parables, in which he would set this sort of, if you wish, fictional event, and then he would apply deeper spiritual truths to it. And he tells a story about 12 virgins. And these 12 virgins were betrothed to be married. And they're there, and it says that, Six of, those, six of those virgins, What? no, ten virgins. Sorry, I'm old, numbers get mixed up. Okay, ten virgins. So five bring extra oil for their lamps. Five don't. And it says that the bridegroom was a long time in coming. And they all got tired and they fell asleep. How many of us get tired waiting on God many times? I mean, Jesus' closest disciples nodded out on him in his greatest moment of need in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so here these folk are and the cry goes out suddenly. The bridegroom is coming. So they wake up and they begin to, you know, put extra oil in their lamps. And the five that didn't bring any extra oil said to those that did, give us some of yours. And they said, "Uh uh-uh, ain't happening. I don't know about you, but that that passage bothers me on the basis just of Christian charity. Come on, man, share. They said, no, 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 if we give you some of ours, then we might run out. You go buy oil. Find you a Walmart that's open at this time of day and go get you some of your own. And it says, while the five that did not come prepared went off to buy oil, the bridegroom came. The five came back knocking on the door, let me in. But the door was locked to them. Now we know this is a story about salvation. But if you'll allow me for a moment, I want to apply it to where I believe that we have found ourselves. I have an unhappy relationship with oil. My wife and I had a 1970-something Osmobile Vista Cruiser. Now, let me explain what, first of all, you don't even know what an Osmobile is, but it was, it was an, a General Motors brand at one time, all right? You don't know what a Vista Cruiser is either unless you've watched that 70s show. That's the Vista Cruiser. It's a station wagon, a land yacht, basically a hearse with seats in it. And invariably, everybody, if you, were, if you were a young couple, somebody gave you a station wagon for a number of reasons. One, they didn't want it anymore. All right? But yet, many times, the parents would give their children a station wagon, hoping they would fill it with grandchildren and return. So that was kind of the hopes. Are you with me? So my wife and I had one of these, and, it, and all station wagons were brown. I don't know why, but they were all brown. So we were on the way to church one Sunday, and I had noticed for some, some time a red light had been on on my dash. And I thought, well, it's close to Christmas. Isn't that special? General Motors knows that it's around Christmas time. And then I've got my turn signal indicator. It's green, so it's red and green, you know, jingle bells, jingle I thought this was really cool here. So I just ignored the red light on the dash until one Sunday a sound emanated from underneath the hood of my brown hearse that portended death. And I heard this death rattle. It's the best way I know how to put it. And the car said, Goodbye. (laughs) I don't know if it went to heaven or went to hell in that moment, but its spirit departed from it. And it no longer had any motivation to move. So these were the days before cell phones, of course. So we slide to the side of the road, didn't make it to church. Go. I don't know how. What? all, Anyway, had the car towed. We had a mechanic in our church. His name was Kenny. Kenny. So a few days later, going bopping into Kenny's, thinking, "Oh yeah, you need a sixty-two dollar part." Kenny said, "Come here," and Kenny handed me something that looked wrong, <laughs> but it was like black jello. It's the best way I know how to put it. It was, it was a semi-solid. He said, this is the oil from your car. <laughs> this is what was left in the bottom of the oil pan. And he handed me my oil. Now, if you don't know anything, ladies and gentlemen, about oil, it's not supposed to be a semi-solid. It is supposed to be a liquid, viscous, so that it can flow through the moving parts of the engine and keep it lubricated and happy and functional and moving. But I thought that the oil fairies came at night. (laughs) Do you understand? And check my oil. And I didn't even think about it until I had to put a $1,200 long block in my brown hearse. Are you with me here? It cost me an engine. You know, for you and I, and I can't preach this, you know that the oil of the Holy Ghost is what keeps your, you and me lubricated. Yeah, that's good. And sometimes we wonder why we, we seize up, we burn out. It's because we haven't allowed the Holy Spirit access to all of the moving parts of our life. That's not the message. Moving on. <laughs> so I have a very unhappy relationship with oil. But let's go back to our our parable just for a moment. Both groups of virgins, they were qualified. They had withheld themselves. They were waiting on something. They both had the same information, the same revelation. He's coming. They were both in anticipation and expectation of this amazing event. They both grew weary. They fell asleep. And then there was the suddenly. And yet only one group was able to participate. And why is that? On the basis of preparation and not just expectation. Hold that thought just for a second. You know, every one of us have an expectation of what revival, awakening, an outpouring of God might look like. For us as individuals and the church and even the culture in which we live. And we all have these expectations going in, some of it, based on our study of the history of revival. First, second, great awakenings, Azusa Street, Latter Rain, whatever it might be. So we try to superimpose what it might look like. But what if, let me just posit this with you just for a second. What if this revival doesn't look like revivals of the past? Stay with me. Pentecost, one of the feasts of Israel. And in this moment, this, this particular Pentecost, God had decided in his sovereignty, I'm going to release the Holy Spirit on this one, in this moment. Now, we had some instructions or we had, you know, some, some if you wish, prophetic indicators. The prophet Joel, in, the low, in those days, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old man will dream dreams, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. But in that moment, what we see recorded in the book of Acts, it says that there were like like rushing wind, tongues of fire. There was nothing written in the law and the prophets that would have portended rushing wind and tongues of fire. We don't see that there was anything in Hebrew oral tradition that this is how God would do it. And as a result, you had the one folk, and they're over there praising God in languages without Rosetta Stone. Are you with me? And then you got this other group over there saying, day drunk. You always have two groups of people in every revival. you got those that just are just under the spout of it, and those people over here, and they're saying, day drunk. It's happened in every one of them. And it's already happening. The pundits and the theologians are, are, are vomiting thousands of words as to everything wrong with the last Asbury outpouring. Oh, my goodness. No, know, you can find something wrong with those anything. Just get up and look in the mirror. <laughs> but we need to be very, very careful how we call the sacred profane the profane sacred. Just because you've never seen it before, just because it doesn't have historical precedent, doesn't mean it's not God. One theologian wrote, and this was actually an evangelical, wrote this. Someone said you can never get back into Narnia the same way twice. You got through the wardrobe once, it won't happen again. By the way, this is making reference to C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia. The same is true of revival. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was one of the most venerated evangelical scholars of the 20th century. He made the point about the Welsh revivals. When he looked at the churches that had experienced revival decades prior, one of the tragedies he observed was they were stuck in the methods of the past. Leonard Ravenhill said years ago, he said, one of my great concerns for the Pentecostal church, he says, is that we think we know so much about God and the move of God that we are in grave danger of missing the next one. Wow. Wow. We think because we believe in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, and we we use guitars in our worship, that somehow it uniquely qualifies us. (laughs) Be careful. Be careful. Because it's possible this might not look like what you think. You see, in a largely narcissistic culture, which has hijacked the church, And has now produced a narcissistic gospel. That this is all about you. Your mama will help you later today. Just give her a call and say, he was so rude to me in church. (laughs) When we find out it really isn't all about you. It's about the good news of heaven. It's about Jesus Christ. Of which we are beneficiaries. But. What if this revival doesn't benefit me the way I think it might? Hmm. How can that be possible? Because I know that revival for me is going to me, you know, I'm going to get a, a good husband. Or I'm going to, or, 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 or God's going to do something, you know, with this idiot husband of mine. My children are not going to act like demonic offspring. I'm going to get a job where I'm not working for Pharaoh. I mean, we all have definitions of what we think revival looks like as it comes to our world. But what if this revival cost us more, not less? Oh, Pastor Jim, that's not even possible. Oh, yes, it is. Do you realize that perhaps numerically the greatest revival in the history of the planet is going on right now and has been for decades? China. Well, we haven't read about it. You won't. Because those churches are all underground in what's called house churches. My wife and I have met, or we've been in the same room with, that was close enough, some of the apostles of this house church movement. And, you know, these guys, I've got four churches. This guy's got, well, he's got 10 million people spread out. And thousands of house churches. Wow. And yet those disciples in China, they don't make their decisions like this. They realize that it could cost them everything. Come on. And let me tell you, many cases it does. Most of the pastors, every one of the apostles, have spent years in prison for their faith. And we can say, this does not work for me. How do you mean it might cost us more? I'm just submitting. it's very possible that it could. There are going to be unique aspects, I believe, of this outpouring that is not necessarily going to be on the celebrity churches and the big places and the big names and the Internet hits. The Asbury Revival, both times, 70 and 23, spontaneous, After a chapel, no central personality. Worship, repentance, salvations, reconsecration. Everything that's supposed to accompany revival were absent. The evangelicals are freaking out because there was no preaching. (laughs) The Pentecostals are freaking out because there was no worship team. Just a couple of students hanging out. Mm -hmm. Might there be more? great awakenings of the 18th century. Wesley, Whitfield, public preaching, large meetings. But there was another revival in the mid-19th century, 1857 to 59 in New York City, that had nothing to do with any of that. It was a midday prayer meeting. A midday prayer meeting that was started. That hundreds and thousands of people began to attend. It wasn't splashy. It wasn't making the news but God was moving in the midst of it. And churches that have centered around human celebrity and activity, they are at most risk of missing this next visitation of God. Yeah. Hear me. And we want to be very, very careful that we don't miss it because we don't. Our, our expectations are somehow not met. Saints, many times we define faith as expectation, but I want to submit to you That is an incomplete definition. True faith is expectation plus preparation. Expectation plus preparation is where true faith is found. A woman that gets pregnant and she's at 40 weeks and, you know, she's something about to happen, she goes to the hospital and she has that baby. See that's a man's understanding of the whole process, and this is this is why God did not give a uterus to a man. It's just true. I mean, you know, after the first time, the dudes would have gotten together. Don't do it, man. <laughs> Seriously, dude, it, don't don't do it. Women are there that you know, and they're like, "Ooh, let's have another one." You know, it's just like. I'm going to pay for this later. My wife's looking at me. Daggers are coming out of her eyeballs. But, you know, that wife and that husband, the wife doesn't, you know, when they, they come in, you know, 90 minutes later and your HMO isn't paying anymore and they put the little burrito there on the bed and it's just like, y'all got to go. Is that like the husband and the wife are not looking. She just say, well, honey, what are we going to do with little boo-boo here? Maybe we get a box on the way home. Or maybe we'll just let, maybe the dog will share the dog bed with little Boo-Boo. I mean, you think we might need something to feed it? I mean, I'm sorry. It doesn't work that way. You've been Pinteresting, yes. You've been targeting paint splotches on the wall in the, in the, you know what I'm talking about. Weeks of preparation. My wife was cleaning behind the refrigerator the week that she delivered our first. I'm like, how do you think he's going to get behind the refrigerator? <laughs> but she was in preparation, yes. Yes. not just expectation. So Are you hearing me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I'm going late and I'm sorry. 2 Kings 4, I'm going to close this. My second oil story we find in 2 Kings, the fourth chapter. The widow of a prophet. She's out of money, broke. And in those days, you didn't get to file a 7 13, 15, 17, 19 bankruptcy. They just came and got your kids, and they sold them. That's how they did it. So the prophet Elisha shows up and says, what can I do for you? She tells the story. He says, what do you have in your house? And she says, nothing. But then she thought, ah, I better not lie to this guy, except a little oil. You know how many times God comes to us and says, what do you have in your house? And we just say, I ain't got nothing. I ain't got nothing. How dare you? The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that Jesus died for to send that Holy Spirit to look back at God and say, you don't have anything? When the third person of God himself is now resonant on the inside of you, could I suggest don't do that? She says, but I do have a little oil. He said, all we need, get those boys, get them out of the house, go to the neighbors, get every container you can find, come back, close the door. She does that. She begins to pour her little bit of oil, and it continues to come. It's Like, cool. So she sets that container, and imagine these were probably, because of of, of the day and age, they probably were urns. They're big, and so she tells her, get another one, so the, you know, You know, Bubba brings another one over and says she's pouring into that. And they keep all the containers the boys had gotten. All of a sudden now, when they were full, the oil stopped. And then Elisha says, sell the oil, pay off your debts, and live on what's left. You know what? We didn't just move from getting our student loans paid off. We didn't just get our visa taken care of. In this moment, God set this woman up for the rest of her life. Live on what's left. I mean, you know, God doesn't just deal with our immediate crises and needs. He always, he always moves beyond. Because he's a God of beyond. Amen? But we live in a culture today that's not only a FOMO culture, it's a foro culture. That's the fear of running out some of you are saying, you got to be kidding. Hey, you still using COVID toilet paper. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> Those rogue rolls that are still running around underneath the bed, coming out of the kitchen cabinets. You know what I'm talking about. This fear of running out because that's why God made Amazon Prime and Costco. But we live in a day that we feel like that when we begin to get a little empty, a little hungry and thirsty, that something's wrong, we begin to rebuke the devil. And yet Jesus in the Beatitudes said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they're the ones that what? They get filled. And yet... We have this fear of running out. So what do we do? We begin to fill this this void and fill it with anything and everything else but God himself. Oh my goodness. And listen to me. Don't ever underestimate the ends that God will go to. To empty a man or a woman. In order to be more filled with himself. His person. And his promises. He'll do it. He will turn you upside down. Say, oh my God wouldn't do that. Then you are not serving the God of the Bible. Read your Bible. The book of Job will unpack it for you. Here's a guy that had it going on. On God's own testimony. There's nobody like him. And for 40 chapters, he gives Satan permission to absolutely empty this guy's life. Why? So that at the very end, Job would have a more accurate revelation of who God was. Don't think God won't do this. Some of you have been experiencing that. It's like, what's wrong? Where, where is, what, what, what demon can I whoop? What, what, can I, what, can I, what can I put in here to fill this up? A.W. Tozer said, it's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. And God will do it. Another theologian said that God actually rises up storms of conflict at times in order to accomplish that deeper work in our character. We all want the rain of revival. We just don't want the storms that bring that rain. What does your wineskin look like? I don't have time to talk about this. But I preached a message here years ago about the preparation of a wineskin. And in antiquity, these disgusting how they move liquids, yuck. But You know, we didn't have Yeti in those days. And so they would take the skin of an animal in order to move liquids like oil or wine. And they would, like, pour it in and tie it up and kind of... But that wineskin was the most flexible, closest to the moment of death of the animal from which it was taken. And the maximum flexibility means maximum capacity. And some of the death that you and I sometimes feel, it is doing what? It's bringing us to a moment of flexibility in our wineskin that we can hold even more of God. Relying on someone else's oil. Oh, I love Pastor David. He reads the Bible. He's going to seminary. He's smart. He's funny. And I can get almost a Tuesday afternoon on David's oil. What happens after that? And we've been relying on someone else's oil many times. Someone else's scholarship. Someone else's relationship. Someone else's. I mean, come on. You've got to get your own oil. And lastly, recognizing what you have and releasing it. You see, the miracle of multiplication never begins until we begin to pour out what we have. God, I'm going to give you a lot of money when I have more. (laughs) Come on. People do it. They say it. And God is saying, it don't work like that, fool. I want you to begin to give now. When you don't think you've got anything. (laughs) And then we begin to pour out what we have. Whether it's a spiritual gift, a natural gift, finance, service, whatever it might be. Regardless of how little that we think it is. And in that moment, that's when God comes. And the miracle of multiplication begins to kick in in our lives. And saints, I believe that God is looking for people prepared to receive. And in some measure, I know that I'm going to be preaching some form of this message for the rest of my life. This is a life message. Because I don't believe that what we're experiencing is a momentary shower. I think it's a rain that's setting in. And God is looking for churches. He's looking for people. And I believe there are four things that I really am going to close with this. First of all, he's looking for churches with multiple containers. The first, of worship. Not a transactional worship. God got my hands raised, moving my feet. Come on, singing a song. Therefore, I want you to do a little something, something for me here. Look at this. I got my praise on. It's transactional because you want God to do something for you. I think God is looking, and we know that his encounter with the woman at the well, the Father is looking for a particular type of worshiper. Prayer. You see, prayer creates the vessels for revelation and manifestation. You know why? Because true prayer empties. It doesn't work your list. True prayer is not my will, but thy will be done. It's Jesus praying in Gethsemane. That's what true prayer produces in the life of a disciple. Gathering empty containers. Notice that the admonition of the prophet was go out of the house. We're not just trying to get each other a little better in here. He says go out of the house and get every empty container you can find. What a picture of evangelism and outreach. We bring those containers in here that God might fill. Come on. That's great. And lastly, giving. Giving. Acts, the 10th chapter. Acts chapter 2 was the Holy Spirit being poured out to the Jew. But in Acts 10, we see the Holy Spirit coming to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile. And what, what were the events that got the Holy Spirit, that got the apostle Peter to make that visit to Cornelius' home? He says, your prayer and your giving has gone up to me as a memorial offering. Do you know that giving is also one of the containers revival we're not buying revival but it's our giving it goes up to God in a unique way so saints there's only one question survival or revival and there's not going to be much in between and I'm believing for the latter this is a moment to check your oil Check your oil and find out if you are rightly positioned to receive from God in this historic moment. Pray with me. Lord, help us hear well as a church. Let us hear. But God, not just to be hearers of that word, but doers. God, let us marry expectation and preparation in this moment and in this season. God touch these men and women, this amazing church. Visit them in unique ways.